You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing with you conversations with five spiritual entrepreneurs who were awarded the 2021 Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award from the Wesleyan Investive. For more information, visit award.wesleyaninvestive.org. Hi, friends. I'm Lisa Greenwood here with Casper Turkile. Hi, Casper. Hey, Lisa. And we get to share another amazing conversation with you today. I've said this in other places, but it has been so inspiring and really life-changing to get to know these innovative leaders. I feel like every time one of our conversation finishes, I need to reassess my entire life plan. I'm like, (laughs) oh no, this is what I should do. (laughs) So if this is your first time listening in, you can hear about the Lock Award on our first episode or check out our website. Those links are in our show notes. Essentially, what you'll find is that these five individuals are truly extraordinary people through and through. So joining us today in conversation is our Lock Innovative Leader Award winner, Diamon Hargis. Diamon is the original roving listener, an artist, a neighborhood organizer, and so much more in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's the founder of The Learning Tree, which he'll talk a little bit about, a nonprofit that uses the asset-based community development approach that city governments and organizations of all kinds use to improve the quality of life for people around the community. And it's an amazing approach that really centers the gifts of people rather than their needs. And you'll hear that come through throughout Diamond's conversation. He was named as one of the eight most influential neighborhood organizers on the ground by the Kettering Foundation, and he is a leader in the Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. I, I love so much uh, about Diamond's work, and one thing that I always come back to is the language that he uses. Yes. You know, he'll just throw out a phrase like "schooled in scarcity" or "the fabric of love." Like, I mean, he actually shares a poem with us in this conversation, and it's no surprise to hear that he's a poet because. He's a real artist with language, and I I think that's at the center of his ministry, is is kind of opening our imagination of what's possible with the kind of words that that he uses and reflects back to us. And he does that in such a matter-of-fact, kind of low-key way, but if you really listen, you're like, oh my gosh, he he is changing lives just with his curiosity, right? This notion of being a social banker... I mean, really, it's remarkable, but it's, uh, gosh, we keep using words like it's gold, it's rich, <laughs> but, but it really is. Would, would you say a word more about that, Lisa? Because obviously you work within a foundation, right? A, a financial institution that has banking as you know the center of its job. How, right. how do you see some of those kind of functions translate into the work that Diamond's doing in his community and beyond. So I think part of what Diamond is doing and what he's talking about is is transcending how we think about currency. We mm-hmm. have only thought about it in transactional ways with tangible literal money, right? And he's talking about invisible currency, right? It's right. trust, it's relationships. And if you think about it, that's actually at the heart of what we're trying to do at the Wesleyan Investive and at TMF is to build relationships that have impact, right? Mm-hmm. And so I loved listening to Diamon talk about how that's changing lives and how it's changing communities. Absolutely. Imagination is currency. Stories are currency. Yes. And and you can see that the way in which this is not a currency that once you spend it, it runs out. 
It's a currency that just keeps growing and growing yes. and growing. And isn't isn't that the gospel message, right? Amen. The more you love, the more love there is in the world. Yes. <laughs> He's also super practical. Final thing I'll say about this conversation, you know, he has these great rules that that he invites his neighbors to to co-create with him as long as they're not doing anything alone, anything obscene or anything illegal. And that they have to fail at least three times. I thought that was just such a good kind of guiding principle when you're trying something new. So there's, look out for some of those gems in this conversation as well. So here's our conversation with DMI. So hi, Diamon. We are so glad that you're with us today. And thank you. It's good to be with you. Yeah. So we want to jump in by hearing a bit of your story. And and I know that can be a big, broad question. So maybe just start with some significant events that have brought you to this point in your life. Well, I, I was going to, it's going to be funny, but being born is one of those significant events. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and probably all the events leading up to me being born. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but honestly, though, it's growing up and a really tight-knit family, not without its troubles, but there's a lot of learning that comes along with that. So I'm influenced by my grandparents. My grandmother is still living. She lives in South Bend. She's like 93 next week. Oh, that's great. Wow. I think the other thing that I feel like is influenced my life, the way we lived and the way I grew up is everything was about sharing stories. Hmm. And so here, my granddad, every weekend, it was almost story time, not just for like young people, but everybody sat on the porch to tell stories. And most of the stories is how we got to where we are right now. Mm. And so that's influenced a lot of the way I try to live my life and looking for the story time and sharing with my neighbors how we live our life and how we got to here. That's would great. you would you give us a little glimpse of what that story was? You know, just some of those because how did how did we end up here, Diamon? What the first part of it with my parents and my grandparents, it was really about trying to live abundant. So my grandparents them moved to South Bend in the 30s. They were children, so their parents moved them there, mm-hmm. and they were trying to escape the brutality of the South. Mm-hmm. And they ended up in a very brutal neighborhood or community. And its time frame, because it was only where African Americans could live. But the beauty in that was what they did in between. And so my grandfather was an artist and a storyteller, he's a quartet singer, uh-huh. and my grandmother was like the breadwinner. So our household uh-huh. was flipped upside down, and that's how we grew up. But the story that I really cherish is when my mother was born, my grandfather planted a tree in 1952. And they called that tree to learn a tree. And it was where people would gather when my parents became teenagers to really discuss, you know, what we just talked about. What does it mean? Mm. How do we remember, you know, there's an abundant life right now, despite what's going on around us. And so, and then they would practice on talking about how people's gifts can't be thrown away. And so Mm. the learning tree was that little glimpse of that, um, in a little bitty part where only African-Americans could live. They lived in the swamp and some, you know, they weren't always treated as sacred, but they treated each neighbor as sacred people. So I'm influenced by that. But I think later on, I was reminded by that when I 
come in contact with now a very close friend, Mike Mather. And I didn't know him when we first met. It was just kind of weird. Just, you know, <laughs> an artist and a pastor coming to connect. And we looked at each other. And the first thing he did was tell me, said, tell me a story. And it was the first time in my life that that I was approached as my story was important. So mm-hmm. I told him the story of my granddad. And we had bef- this almost 20, man, it's 21 years of being friends. And that right there has really, really influenced um, the way I live my life. And not that just Mike has influenced me, but he helped me remember what my grandparents was helping me remember how we got here. And so that that's kind of the snapshot. But I also was very cool about this is that, um, so I have two children. They're also grown and they're also in the place where they are remembering how they got here. Mm. And so in their work and school, they often have conversations, listening. They call it the old times. (laughs) 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 So anyway, so, yeah. So you talked about the learning tree and that's the name of your organization. I mean, even as you tell the story about your uh, grandparents, um, it's obvious why you named it that, but tell us about what the learning tree is and how did the idea emerge? Yeah, it's probably been emerging for like 50 years, but <laughs> in the last 10 years, it it kind of emerged out of the work we've been doing. So um, we're just a collective of community members and neighbors that were influenced by and are influenced by the work of Broadway United Methodist Church. And so I'm a um, I'm a lay member there, been there for 18 years. And when I first got there, they were exploring what it is to be a good neighbor. And so there we started the Roving Listener. And I was the original Roving Listener where I was going around to find the gifts and talents of people to figure out how to build community economy and mutual delight by utilizing the gifts of residents and, and laity in a congregation. And so that had took off and I started to explore what does it mean outside of the church to be a good neighbor, to Mm. live out the gospel. And because of that, I'm a little background, you know, if we looked at what ordinary systems should say, then I shouldn't be in places where I should be at right now. So I don't Mm. have a high school diploma, like people in my neighborhood also have a struggle with depression. So grew up poor and been poor for a long time. And so like that, my neighbors have been in the same space. So it, I started to to venture out my vocation and call. I started to pick up and I would look back backwards and remembering, right? This remembering thing becomes very important mm. because I started to what I am starting to find joy in my life. And I want to share that joy with my neighbors who wasn't experiencing what I was experiencing. And so I was doing consulting gigs and I said, what would it look like to turn this upside down and hire my neighbors as my business partners? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have a name yet. And I remember my friend, Fernando Rodriguez, who's out in Boulder, Colorado now, he's a Presbyterian and he was here and he helped me. Um, I went through iterations of neighbors And then I found the right mix of people 
like six years ago. I mean, almost seven years ago next month. I started to ask my neighbors, would they be my business partners? And they didn't have to put money up. But what I would require is to have dinner with their friends. <laughs> so I wanted to meet their friends. In <laughs> return, I would give them gigs, some of the consultant contracts that I would get, and they would give 20% back. <laughs> so we didn't have a name. So we started funding little things in our neighborhood based on what we started to learn from what we did at Broadway, that people have gifts and talents. And so we started a grant program where we would give small grants and people couldn't do anything alone. They couldn't do anything obscene or illegal. They had to fail at least three times. Mm. And so it was the first time that we had power, right, in celebrating our own. And so then what we started to realize is that, wow, we needed to start capturing this. And this is where I ran into my neighbor. His name is Wild Style. He's got it. He got his name from skating and he's a hip hop producer. And he says, you guys need to share stories. And around that same time, he started capturing when we would take our little walks and stuff like that. And we didn't really have a name. And my friend Fernando, it's a big maple tree out in front of the house. He said, you always tell that story about your granddad. He says, why don't we name this the learning tree? Mm. And so that's how it got its name. But essentially we are, and we have grown over the years. So some of the consultant contracts are very high powered things. So we have, we're doing something with Central Indiana Community Foundation, the state of Indiana, the workforce development at the governor's office and uh, many more things that's been interesting that my neighbors have been taking charge of. You just say that so casually, and we're working with the state and the governor's office, and and, uh, and that's big. That's big. Tell us about that. So going back, one of the things where we got our first start at, when um, a project we started to work on and had a lot to do with stories, nobody really knew a lot about us in in our city, but one of the things that really put us on the map was when we started paying our neighbors to tell their stories on doors. And so there was this project where we found 45 artists in our neighborhood and they created 70 doors uh, that cultivated to a project called Perception, mm. what's behind the door. And I remember people writing through our neighborhood and people writing on Facebook, there's this group of neighbors that have like taken over a neighborhood or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It was some myth. <laughs> but people started being curious about us. And at the same time, I think the work at Broadway started to really bear some fruit after 10 years. We had a relationship with the CEO over at the Century Indiana Community Foundation. And it took a long time for them, but they were really thinking about what is, how do we become good neighbors and a good mm-hmm. institution in Indianapolis? And they started to rethink about how money is given, how is equity framed and acted out. And so they asked us to come aboard and to help them with their race and equity initiative. They hired a a vice president and we partnered with her to run what they call the Central Indiana Community Foundation Ambassadors, the CICF Ambassadors. Hmm. They essentially roving listeners uh, all over the city of Indianapolis. And Mm. that's been powerful. And so they do a lot of the stuff I described, what I started doing in the beginning. And with the extra twist of 
they help their neighbors that have agency to get in front of policy questions, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's one of the things, and that's how we ended up getting the same thing at the state. So the state is doing community ambassadors all over the state to find out how they can better cultivate a system that supports every single person, mm. especially those who are left behind. Diamond, you just used that phrase, the roving listener. And, and that's how I remember meeting you a couple of years ago. That that was your job title. That was who you were. You, you've described yourself as a social banker. You You just have this gift of finding ways of putting words together that I didn't know could go together and actually <laughs> illustrate a, a totally different, and yet once you see it, so obvious <laughs> way of being, and I mean that with the greatest respect, you know, it it, it, it takes genius to find the simple solution. And, and I think that's exactly what you do. W- would you help us understand what it means to become a roving listener, to become a social banker? Wow, that's a really hard question. Because I I would say, first of all, that most people say I was born to be that. Mm. And so roving listeners, just like architects and artists, they're born. Mm. Like I I realized that's what there were a bunch of roving listeners in our families. And so I didn't know it. But, you know, sometimes my mother would call me the Pied Piper. Um, (laughs) And, you know, and, and, and when I told her my name, my, my new title, she was like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. That is it. So, and Reverend Mike always uh, was saying that, you know, I already was doing the work of that. And that work was really being curious. And so part of it to, to be that is to be curious, right? And when you are curious, you do some things, you listen. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you were a child, like when things interest you, my grandfather so much interests me in the stories. They were like large. I used to like be in his face, like listening, watching <laughs> his every move. That is basically, you know, authentically curious about what yeah. is good and holy about people who walk this planet. Mm-hmm. And, and it just so happened because of my neighborhood. I always thought I wanted to go to other neighborhoods Mm. and see what people have left behind Mm. and see what people don't see. Mm. And so, and then once I started going to church and stuff, I realized the gospel, I never connected with the gospel when I was young and I started connecting with it when I met Reverend Mike and it took a while, but I realized what my grandparents and what the Reverend listener was was this idea that people thought we were lame, right? Huh. And, and the only answer we could give is this set them at the gate and ask for alms. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I learned that there is an or remember there is an alternative, I started like, whoa, this is this is something that's important. So in saying that, the roving listener isn't just this idea. Once you become unblinded, mm-hmm. right, then you cannot deny what is there. And so now we have to act. And mm-hmm. so like what Peter and John did is what I like me and my neighbors attempt to do is to see one another mm-hmm. and to ask each other to look at us. So we so that's part of is the act is once you see, how do we act? 
when you see somebody or a miracle happen or a miracle that you didn't know of, then you become different. And so you start investing your money, you invest your time, you, you invite them to parties. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that is part of what being a roving listener is. And I discovered part of that was really connecting people. Right. So mm-hmm. I, my, one of my favorite things is, is connecting people, this kidnapping people. Sometimes I just bring people together <laughs> and then they start loving each other or some amazing right. things happen that they didn't expect. So being a connector is definitely part of the roving listener. And, and then the connections turns into parties. How do we celebrate yes. what we hadn't seen before in ways that, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's like Pentecost or something. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, celebrating literally, I mean, you, you host parties where people come around a young person and name the gifts that they see in this young person, right? Like you, you bring people to celebrate one another's gifts so that those gifts can then be given more boldly and received by the community. It's an alchemy that happens. I mean, you use that word miracle. I really think that's exactly right. And, I, and I'm sure you would say you're just connecting people, but I, 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 it's so much more than that. It's so much well, more than that. And I do see some, and it's not like sometimes it, it could escape you. I do see people like, really literally fall in love with each other and how <laughs> how i know this is not because i some always physically see it but people yeah. will come back and bear witness to it yeah and so that's really cool mm-hmm. um the other the other piece of, about the roving listener is stories and how you share stories so once you see something you've acted on it just like what we do in church we must physically say tell the story about it I think most people were probably preaching about the road to Emmaus this week. And I remember Mike was talking about his sermon and it was just his sermon was so striking that he's going to preach because on this road, when you don't have hope, something appears that says the hope has always been there. Mm -hmm. And you always need a reminder and stories do that. They awaken you, open your eyes. They do. Yeah. Casper mentioned social banker, and I've heard you talk about that. And and there's so much, I mean, that is such a rich image. And oh, wow, I didn't mean to use that word, but I did. It <laughs> is. It's a it's a rich. Well, in in so many ways, because it's not about fiscal currency, right? Yeah. yeah. So being a social banker, uh, it's something that I've been toying with for the last couple of years. I realized that reflecting, doing this remembering as a practice, how we get here. And I was thinking about like all the parties that my neighbor, that we had with our neighbors and young people from the church, that the only thing that was different was who come into the party. Mm. Right. And so people who normally wouldn't be together started to form a rich relationship together very social type bonds and other things came out of that. People became well, people became more connected. Mm -hmm. Fiscal currency started to exchange hands, but then people had the power of choice. And so Mm -hmm. I started to reflect and saying, what, this is almost like a whole new economy Mm -hmm. or it's an economy that we hadn't really noticed before. And so that, that right there I've been exploring. And I was like, what is that? What are the intangible currencies do we use every day? And friendship, relationship, love, those things are wrapped into one. 
then you have things that I realize it seems so easy. I, you say, and you say this just roll off your tongue, but it's, it took a lot of time to build trust with people. Yes. So trust is a currency. It's not normal that a community foundation would just come in and, and support a group of neighbors. Something had to happen. And so trust was that. The other thing is the people in my neighborhood lacked social capital. They didn't lack gifts and talents and the ability or capacities to do anything. They lacked what everybody else had shut them off from. And so it's social capital is a currency. The other thing is my friend at the city, he deputy mayor, and he was working with us on a project. <laughs> and I love what he did because we said we went and we decided we wanted to buy a city block. And we just said it like it wasn't nothing, but we knew it was kind of big. But he yeah. looked at us. He was like, and the way we described it to him, the resident led, he was like, man, we lack so much imagination. Yes. And so I realized imagination is a currency. Yes. You know, I, I would love to imagine that everybody has a gift. And so that breeds curiosity. So that's a currency. And then stories, right? So I, like I told you about the stories about the doors and how they mm-hmm. were on everybody's porches, people saw our community different. <laughs> it wasn't different. It's always been that way, but it became visible because it wasn't visible before. Right. So so how we share stories and we, we put a lot, that's probably our favorite and most powerful currency because we get to name ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get... People can bear witness, and then we'll name what people are bearing witness to. Diamond, can I can I ask you because being the one who has the imagination, who has the curiosity, who who asks for stories and shares stories, it, it can get pretty tiring. It can feel pretty lonely. And you've mentioned some beautiful friendships that have unlocked things for you and and in you. How how have you navigated the the challenges of? being a social banker, a roving listener, a a leader, because it isn't always easy. Well, I learned a long time ago, you never do anything alone. Mm -hmm. And so that's been one of the saving things to it. I mean, I often could have just been known as just something, a leader. Lots of times in my neighborhood, in my community, I'm not seen as that. I'm just seen as a neighbor, which is really good because that means I'm around other people that also see themselves as leaders. Yeah. So, you know, I try to keep at least seven tight, really tight knit relationships around me that do a few things that care for me where I'm not going to care for myself. Uh And there's oftentimes, no matter how we put it, there's things we lack. So, yeah. So that's one. The other is doing, taking learning journeys. So Casper, when we first met you, we were on a learning journey and that fulfills me. Mm. Um, And one of the practices that I continue is Reverend Mike and myself just always took walks together Mm. and everybody know that about us, but he's gone to Boulder now. And so I'm taking walks with other friends Mm. and hanging out with other friends that that keeps me healthy. That's beautiful. Um, And one more thing is having parties. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. I do also think in the other thing vocationally of having a team to work to through that have other gifts besides yourself is super important yeah because you always want to feel like if if you don't ever feel like you need people then you're way too tired 
<laughs> and when you need people, you can guarantee you're going to get some rest. That's right. I want to pick up on another theme that's come out from how you talked about your friendship with, with Reverend Mike and, and other folks. And this is something I love about Lisa's work, this idea of a mixed spiritual ecology, right? That we have congregations as part of a spiritual landscape, but also other initiatives, projects, communities, and you have stitched together the secular and the sacred, right? You're working with the governor's office, you're working with a congregation, you're working with a community foundation, you're working, uh, again, with, with, with folks in the religious community. Is is there a, a bridge that you're crossing there? Is it all the same landscape? Do you use different language when you're working with different partners? Like, what does it look like to, to cross that kind of so-called divide? Let me, if I, I wrote a poem yesterday. Oh, I would love to hear it. Man, let me see if I put it in here. But it was really interesting. Um, I heard a sermon one time at Broadway, or Mike preached, and it was around the housing crisis. Hmm you know, in the 60s and 70s when black folks couldn't get housing. And in the sermon, it talked about people who made those bad decisions went to churches and they uh -huh. served on church committees. Mm -hmm. But And they also served on boards of community foundations. And this, we only, we make that division. Mm. Where is no division. Mm. It's called we, actually. Hmm. And it was just kind of the, it just was, I don't know if I have the answer yet, but I'm just pondering. We are all one in this universe. It's like a song. You don't hear all the instruments all at the same time, but they are. Yet we hear the song. As humans, we see things individually we pick it apart hear every instrument to prove it exists in scarcity we lack more facts less love more concrete less fabric of love we all are one we all are the song of the universe abundantly if you choose to see you will see and i will see you i will hear the music of our blessed ceremony by our ancestors with this melody of abundance. So it was just, I think, I think the fact that we've been schooled in scarcity yeah. so much that we need proof of God's abundance. Mm -hmm. And yet we, like we are God's abundance. <sighs> humans are schooled in scarcity fabric of love man you got away with words so demon i've got three rapid fire questions for you to close this out and the first one is thinking of yourself as a young man just starting out what what do you wish you'd known at that age that you know now man <laughs> that i had a gift mm, beautiful What's the thing you wish that leaders in the church knew? What do you wish that they understood? That life is truly abundant. That the answers that they seek is right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then as we're thinking about, you know, this Wesleyan movement and, and celebrating leaders like yourself uh, with, this, with this award, for you, when you think about it, what is at the very heart of Wesleyanism? 
what, what do you love about this tradition that sits at the very center of it? That outside of the center is that the parish is everywhere we walk. Mm-hmm. And that there's a worship service waiting on a porch or in the living room. There's communion waiting every day. And there is testimony waiting mm-hmm. to be heard mm-hmm. in places you wouldn't expect. So, Demon, we want to share a blessing with you as we wrap up our time together. Demon, we give thanks to God for the way that you show up to people. I mean, really show up. The way you listen and pay attention. The way you truly see people. The way you encourage and uplift. The way you name gifts and then put those gifts to work. God is doing a powerful thing through you, and it is sacred and good. Today, we give thanks to God for you, and we pray God's blessings on you, on your family and your ministry, that you may experience a Holy Spirit wind carrying you when the resistance is strong and the movement is slower than you would like. May you know deep in your bones that who you are matters as a husband, a father, a friend, and as a beloved child of God with whom God is well-pleased. By the grace of God, may it be so. Thank you, Lisa. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from Truthwork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller. For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Make sure to view our show notes and website for more information about our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.